Welcome to the City Church Podcast. We hope that you will be abundantly blessed by this message. If you would like to find out more about the city, please log on to our website, www.thecity.sg. But this morning, I really felt led to talk about uh, the second coming of Jesus as we conclude our series on Advent. Read two verses, Acts chapter 1, verse 11. Acts chapter 1, verse 11. The Bible says, Men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking to, to the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Now, just give you a context to this verse. It was the ascension of Jesus. He has been betrayed, been crucified, been placed in the grave. Third day came, he rose, and for 40 days he taught his disciples about the kingdom. And now he's been taken up in a cloud. And of course, the 500 looked up, and as Jesus went up, and they were wondering, Jesus is gone. And then they heard two angels said, why are you staring blankly into the sky? The same Jesus who was taken up in great glory will come back in the same way. Listen, friends, Jesus who went up as the glorious man, he will come back as a glorious man. Amen. Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 and 12. And this is probably the best description of the second coming and John the Revelator said, I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse, whose rider is called Faithful and True. Now, that's two names. With justice, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He's coming back, church. The first coming, he came as a little baby in swaddling clothes. But the Bible tells us in Revelations that in the second coming, he'll be riding on a white horse as a glorious king. Amen. See, friends, we live between two mountain peaks of history. Between the first coming of Jesus when he was born at Bethlehem and the second coming at the end of time when he will come as judge of all. On Friday as we celebrate Christmas, I had this three words, cradle, cross, and crown. Cradle, cross, and crown. We celebrated the cradle on Christmas. Good Friday and Easter, we remember the cross and the finished work of Jesus Christ. But the day is coming, my friends, when He will be crowned as King of many kings. Amen. You've got a praise offering. I don't know about you, but and it just excites me to think that the day is coming when he'll be crowned with many crowns. Come on. You see, friends, Advent is not only about preparing for the celebration of Jesus' birth at Christmas. Advent is also an event for us to reflect on the second coming of Jesus. So Advent is concerned with the two comings of Jesus, our preparation for the celebration of Jesus' birth, but also the preparation for His second coming. Amen. We have to be prepared for the coming of the Lord. And this morning, I want to just leave three thoughts with all of us. The first thought is, first of all, we must learn of His coming. Do you know that the least teach uh, subjects in churches today is the second coming of Christ? And um, sadly, but truth be told, we have not talked about this subject. 
in the last six years of our church. And prayerfully and as uh, we are led by the Holy Spirit, that we'll talk more and more about the second coming of Jesus in the coming months and years. But it is the least teach subject in most churches, even in Singapore. But we must learn as believers to prepare of His coming. We, we must learn of His second coming. Say learn. learn. See, the return of Jesus Christ is a vital part of God's redemptive plan for humanity. And that's why the event was foretold by prophets, proclaimed by angels, taught by Jesus, but especially Paul. See, Paul discussed the second coming of Christ at length in his first two letters. After he met the resurrected Jesus on the road to Damascus, knocked off his donkey, he was taken into the desert of Arabia, and the first letters he wrote was the letters of Thessalon- uh, to the Thessalonians. And the first two letters, he spent a huge chunk of his writing explaining the second coming of Jesus. See, friends, I believe Paul knew how important that subject is. Amen? In fact, he wrote in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13, that he said, we do not want you, his readers, to be uninformed of the second coming. And I pray this morning that we will start this journey together to learn of His second coming. If you know little or if you don't know anything except that He's coming again, I want to encourage encourage you in the coming days, learn of the second coming. There are over 1,500 prophecies of Jesus' second coming recorded in the Bible. In fact, do you know that for every prophecy of His first coming mentioned in the Old Testament, for every first coming prophecy, there are eight predicting His second coming. Old Testament prophecies talk more about the second coming of Christ than than the first coming. In the New Testament, Jesus actually mentioned His return more frequently than His death. Do you know that? He talked more about Him coming back than His death. Perhaps no event in the history of the world has ever been more anticipated than the second coming. More than Star Wars Episode 7. More than the next iPhone. More than your next hype, the second coming of Christ is the most anticipated event ever in the history of the world. Every generation of believers, including the believers in the New Testament, in the early church, has strongly believed that Jesus would return in their lifetime. Every generation. And that's why Paul wrote to the Thessalonians and they learned two things about the second coming, about Jesus' return. They learned that His return is certain. Say certain. The certainty of His return. But also they learned, if you read the two books of Thessalonians, that they also learned that His return is, the timing of that return is uncertain. So they learned the certainty of His return, but the uncertainty of the, of the second coming. So friends, I'm here to announce to you, this is interesting, that the second coming is a sure thing. At, at the same time, when He comes, you'll be surprising. It's both sure and surprising. The Bible says no one knows when He will come, even though we know that He is coming. Second Thessalonians chapter 2 Verses 1 and 2 says, Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to Him, we ask you, brothers, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by some prophecy 
report or letters supposed to have come from us saying that the day of the Lord has already come. See, in Paul's days, some believers were mistakenly frightened that they have missed the second coming, while others doubted that it will ever occur in their lifetime. They will say, where is this coming be promised? Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. In fact, Paul, uh, Peter wrote that in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 4. See, friends, we must avoid two extremes this morning and, mo- and moving forward. We must avoid the extreme of believing that the second coming has already occurred because it has not. Also, we must, we must also avoid the extreme that the second coming will never occur. Are you with me? His coming is a sure thing. The timing no one knows. See, many Bible teachers have made guesses, wild guesses as to when the rapture or the second coming will occur. In fact, some of the best-selling books in Christian history is about the predictions of the second coming or the rapture. For example, the bestseller in uh, the year 1987-1988 is this book called 88 Reasons Why Jesus Christ Would Come in the Year 1988. In fact, September 11, 1988, sold thousands, if not tens of thousands. So 11 September came, morning came, Jesus didn't come back. The next year, the same author wrote 89 reasons why Jesus would come in 1989. Many books have been written that are trying to predict when He is coming back. But the Bible tells us in Matthew 24 and verse for, uh, verse 36, no one knows about that day or hour, nor even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. So only the Father knows when the second coming will happen. The same way the Father said, Jesus is time, this is the Kairos woman be born. It's the same way the Father one day say, okay, the restoration of all things have been completed. Now you go and receive back for yourself your glorious church. But no one knows. And yet, having said that, even though we, we are not to set dates, friends, we must learn, we must have a biblical understanding of the signs of the times and the events that must occur before the second coming. It's all over the Bible. I've got no time to dive into it, but I want to recommend strongly that all of us read Matthew 24 uh, and 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and Revelation chapter 6 to chapter 19. And, and the Bible is so clear. Daniel, all these Bible prophecies concerning his return and all the events that will take place. And one thing I'm, I know for sure, I don't know when, I don't know the hour, but we're closer than the end than ever before. The signs are showing. Wars and rumors of war. Plagues, pestilences, famines, earthquakes. If you track the time of history, we've got more wars fought today than, than before World War II. We've got more earthquakes today. We've got more pestilences today. And so everything Jesus spoke about in Matthew 24 are coming to, to pass fast and furious. The Son of God is coming back. Amen. So learn of His return. Turn to the person next to you and say, learn. The second thought I want to share with you is we have to learn but also we have got to live for His coming. Turn to the person next to you and say, live for His coming. We have to live for His coming. The Bible tells us in Ecclesiastes that He wants to put eternity in our hearts. 
My friends, do you live your day-to-day life with eternity in your hearts? Do you understand that this world is but temporal, that every single day is just a dress rehearsal for what is to come? Are you living for His return? Jesus told three parables about His return in Matthew 25. I want to commend that chapter to you. After He prophesied, after He taught the signs and the events of His coming, He taught three parables. The parable of the ten virgins, verses 1 to 13. The parable of the talents, verses 14 to 30. And the parable of the sheep and goats, verses 31 to 46. Again, every parable is a sermon by itself. But we learn in summary in these parables that having oil in our vessels with our lambs, that being faithful in the use of our talents and serving the least of our brethren are three important factors in us being prepared for His coming. Go back home, read those uh, parables and meditate on, on them, but we learn powerful truths. So my question to us as we talk about living for His return or living for His coming is, number one, have you received the Holy Spirit? Are you constantly receiving fresh supplies of His presence and power? Or are you running out of oil like the foolish virgin? The wise virgin, the parable told us, could not share their oil with the foolish ones. My friends, preparedness is not transferable. I can't prepare on your behalf as your pastor for His coming. I can't do the praying for you. I can't do the preparation for you. I can't do the receiving oil for you. You have to be prepared. Hello? Preparedness is not transferable. Day by day, we have to make sure that we trim the week. We have to receive fresh oil every single day. And the Bible tells us that we can receive as much as we want. We can stand before Him every morning and say, God, top it up. Have you received the oil? You can't tell me, Daniel, yes, I did in 1999 in the youth camp. When I walked to the front and the pastor prayed for me, I was slain in the Spirit. I was baptized in the Holy Ghost. And... That, that, that's it. What about this morning? Are you praying in the Holy Spirit? Are you constantly asking people to fill you, to pray for a, a fresh infilling? Come on. We can have as much of God as we want. And I'm here to tell you, church, that in 2016, we are going for more. There is more. There is more to just us coming to church, sit there, listen to a great sermon, listen to some wonderful music and going home. There is more and God wants us to have more oil, more oil. Hallelujah. That's from the first parable. The second question is, are we diligently using our talents that the Lord has entrusted to us to serve Him and others? Diligently. Regardless of of whether you are the five-talent person, the three-talent man, or the one-talent girl, are you faithfully investing your talents? It's not about how much you have, it's what you are doing with what you have. Because if all you do is to sit there, or go to work, live the normal life, and you're not using your God-given talent to serve Him, 
you will lose them. You will lose the talents. That's part of preparation. Are you using your talents to serve? Don't bury them because of past disappointments, fear, because of people, because you had a misconception of who God is. You are, you're, you're a hard master. He's not a hard master. He's a great father. Amen. And when he comes, if you've been faithfully using your talent and multiplying your talent, he will say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. The third question from chapter 25 is, do we care for the poor, the oppressed, the needy? Or are we living self-absorbed, self-centered lives all about me, my household, the four walls of our home, taking care of our kids, and that's it. Growing our career, being upward mobile, expanding our own self-aggrandizement, just focusing on self. Is that all we are doing? The sheep in that parable are people, believers, that when they see a sick person, they would visit. When they see an oppressed, they would care. When they see, uh, they would go and visit the prisoners. And this is really convicting for first world Singapore when we shut our front door and live private lives. Even for myself. Yesterday was uh, the final day we had our second foster child. After a year and a half, uh, she has gone back home. And that's a success as far as the fostering scheme is concerned. We return someone else's daughter whom we've been caring for back to the parents. And so we picked her up from the parents' home, spent four hours uh, with her, bought her toys and sent her back. And of course, Megan, was, our, our child was crying. And uh, I went back home and Joy you know, was a lot more, uh, that's her calling, right? So she was in the bed, she was just looking through some uh, photos. She wasn't crying, but I went up to her and I said, I'm so proud of you. And I, and I started crying. I'm just so proud of my wife. Our family went to watch Good a Dinosaur. And you remember the last part? If you have not seen it, I'm so sorry, but this has been three weeks, so I'm, I'm, I'm not spoiling the movie. But, you know, the last part was when uh, the Good a Dinosaur drew a circle, right? Around uh, the boy and said, You belong here. And my wife said to our kids, We have to draw a circle around our foster child. That's where she belongs. I tell you, friends, I'm just so moved by my wife and by her heart for children with no parents or, with, uh, or children from challenging environments. I've married up. <laughs> <laughs> but are we caring for the least of these? Or are we living self-centered lives? And how can we as a church in 2016 do our part in caring for the least of these? This is part of living for His coming. Three parables, filling ourselves up with fresh oil every day, using our talents to serve people and caring for the least of these. And we know that we are ready for His coming if we are topped up, if we are serving, and if we are caring. There's no rocket science. We don't, we don't know when He's coming, but if we know that we are actively serving God, if we are actively caring, and if we are receiving, we are hungry for the more, we will be ready. Amen? And that's 
why Paul, you know, wrote in different places that we have to live ready. For example, in, in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 and 16, he says, Be very careful now how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Paul is saying to us, we must be aware and wise up. Why aren't we wising up? Why aren't we taking every moment seriously? Because we are not aware that we're living in the last days. We don't know that that He's coming back. But if we know, then we'll be aware and we'll wise up. Making every opportunity counts. If there is a service where you can receive more, go for it. Don't, Don't say, inconvenient, I'm too busy. Come on, go for it. That's what, that's how we live our lives. God is moving in that place. Let's go and check it out. We want to have a fresh infilling. Come on. Amen. There's a, you know, there, there is this move of the Holy Spirit. I want to be there. I want God to smear me, smear me again with His oil. I want to be dripping with the oil of the Holy Ghost. I want to be fully topped up. I want my iPad and my iPhone to be 100%, not, not leaking. Amen. That's why we make the the best of every opportunity. If God is using Bill Johnson, Heidi Baker, I want to be there to listen and to receive impartation. Amen? That's why. Wise up. Romans chapter 13, verses 11 and 12. Paul says, do this knowing the time that it is already the hour for you to awaken from your sleep. For now salvation is nearer to us than when we first believed. The night is almost gone, the day is near. Therefore, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Paul is telling us, hey, be awake and get up. Be awake. A huge part of the body of Christ is asleep. We're asleep, which is why the harvest is around us, but we're not reaping it. That's why supplies are all around, but we are, we are not receiving it. Why? Because if you're sleeping, you can't drink, you can't eat, you can't talk, you are sleeping. But a huge part of a church, sleeping. Be awake and get up. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 8, Paul says, And since we belong to that day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate. And the hope of salvation, we spoke about that as a helmet. He says, be alert and dress up. I like that, right? Be aware and wise up. Be awake and get up. Be alert and dress up. Don't walk around naked. Don't walk, don't walk around with no spiritual clothing on. God wants you to put on faith and love as your breastplate, which means that your heart is beating with faith. What can I do next? What's the, the next risk I can take for the kingdom of God with love? Who can I show compassion to? Come on, your heart. Protect your heart with faith and love and put on a hopeful mindset. Come on. Be alert, dress up. And that's how we live for His coming. So church, we must learn of His coming. Say learn. Learn. We're learning this morning. It's 
Actually, not even 101. This is preparatory class. This is like two years old learning one, two, three. All right, we're just this, we're, we're scratching the surface. If you, want, if you want to know more, look for the burning hearts, guys. They will tell you a lot more about the second coming of Jesus. Amen. But we're scratching the surface. I'm here to announce to you that He is coming back, just in case you don't know that. And I tell you, a lot of the church in the world don't even know. And that's why after we learn of His coming, now we live for His coming. We live prepared lives. But the third thing as I bring this message to a close, don't you like short messages? <laughs> short but powerful. Come on. Is that we have to long for His coming. We learn, we live, we must long. Say long. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 12. Peter wrote these words, looking for and earnestly desiring the coming of the day of God. Earnestly. I, I wonder in this church how many of us are looking for and earnestly desiring. If we love our Lord above all else, we will long for His return above all else. A true wife longs for the return of the husband when he travels. Now, I know that's convicting for some of us because I, when, when, when I wrote this, I turned to my wife. I said, when I travel, do you long for my return? She said, sometimes. <laughs> but a true wife longs. If you are in love, if you are, if you are still in that place of romance with your spouse, you long. And no gift that the husband can send her during the absence will compensate for the absence of the husband. So, the true bride of Christ longs for the return of the heavenly bridegroom. Now, while she may rejoice in those measures of grace bestowed her in the present through the indwelling Christ. Now, Christ is with us, for sure, in the Spirit, indwelling within us. She also longs for the return of the bridegroom himself. I want to say this, that it is important to be taken up with the glory of the indwelling Christ. The number of times Paul wrote about in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, and that is true. These are all powerful principles. He is in us. And we can live victorious life. In Christ, we can do all things. In Christ, I'm more than a conqueror. And these are, all, these are all powerful truths. The glory of the indwelling Christ. And walk in the present privileges of Christ in us. But friends, there is something better than Christ in us. And that is Christ with us in person. Amen. Our Lord Himself is coming back. And the Bible promises us we shall see Him. The Bible promises us we shall be caught up to meet Him. We shall be ever with Him. My friends, it, if it is Himself we love, not merely His gifts, no, no joy and victory that we may know through the indwelling Christ will satisfy the deepest longings of our soul for Him to be with us. Now you may say, Daniel, and I struggled with, with this. I have got debates with my brother on a few occasions, you know, in Christ and Christ coming back. But Paul knew more experientially about the glory of the indwelling Christ, right? Than anyone ever lived. The number of times he wrote, in Christ, in Christ, every letter, whether it's to, to the Ephesians, the Colossians, to, to, to you know, the Galatians, the number of times he said, in Christ, 
So Paul knew this more than all of us, more than any teachers ever to walk the face of the earth. In fact, we all learn from Paul. Yet one of the last things he wrote, do you know what? 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8. One of the last things Paul wrote, even though he spent his whole life teaching the churches that he planted the importance of understanding in Christ, one of the last things he wrote, and I, and I want to point you to the screen. He says, finally, there is laid up... Do we have it? Finally, he says, after all that been said, Thessalonians, he's coming back. Ephesians, Colossians, Christ is in you. You can do all things. But he says, finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. What day? The day when they see each other face to face. And not to me only. So who is he writing to? Not just to Timothy, but also to all who have loved his appearing. He's writing to believers from the day of the apostles down the ages to our time that those of us who love His appearing, there's a crown prepared for us. You want a crown? I want a crown. I, I want to have crowns to cast on His feet because He alone is worthy. Now, apart from all the great works and all the good works that we walk in, one of the ways we receive a crown, Paul says, the crown of righteousness is given to those who earnestly, who zealously love His coming. Wow! I want a crown. I want a crown. There's a crown awaiting us who love His appearing. Are you longing for Christ's return this morning, church? If you are not, either you are ignorant, uninformed, and this morning, you have no more excuse. <laughs> or there is something wrong with your relationship with the Lord. No condemnation, it's just a reminder that there is more to this life than just in Christ. He wants us to long for His coming. And I pray that all of us will echo uh, the words uh, in Revelation chapter 22 and verse 20. Come, Lord Jesus. Maranatha. Maranatha. One of my favorite songs when I was growing up. And I didn't know the full meaning of that song. And of course, we know that Mr. Lee Kuan Yew, before he passed on, you know, he was learning meditation, Catholic Christian meditation. And he just sits there and he contemplates on those words, Maranatha. I, I wonder what, whether he knew exactly what the word meant, but the word means, come Lord Jesus, come. It's a prayer of the church down the ages, hastening for His coming. It's like, come quickly, Jesus. Come quickly. And the Bible teaches us to pray that prayer. Come quickly, Jesus. Hasten the coming of the Lord. Maranatha. Maranatha. And so the song goes like that as I close and I can sing. <laughs> can I have a bell on stage, please? The song goes, In the twinkling of an eye, He is coming. Like a thief in the night, he'll be there. We will meet him in the air in all his glory. 
Maranatha, he is coming. He'll be there. Maranatha, Maranatha, Jesus is coming again. Maranatha, Maranatha, Jesus is coming again. He's coming again. Maranatha. Let's pray that prayer every single day. Come, Lord Jesus, while walking in greater revelation of Christ in you. So it's not either or, both and. Amen? Both and. He's coming back. Let's all stand to our feet. I, I, I just wish that the whole church can be here to listen to this word. But I believe as part of my responsibility as a spiritual leader, I've got to teach you about the second coming. I've got to prepare you, remind you of his second coming. Amen. And as a church, we have to cultivate that longing for his return. Amen. So this morning, are you full? Or oh, in the midnight cry? See? It's surprising. And sometimes, you know, we said, Paul, I think you missed it. You know, you thought he's coming back when you're alive. You thought that Christ is coming back. Now, I believe in the spirit of the scripture that this is exactly how God wants us to live. That we live expectant that He will come back in our lifetime. So what if we, if we miss it? And that's exactly what Paul is saying. He's coming back. He's coming back. That was 2,000 years ago. And we make fun of it. Wow, it's a long time, 2,000 years. No, it's the spirit by which Paul was trying to communicate to us that we live expectant. He was expectant of his coming. Yes, he didn't show up in Paul's life. But of course, Paul still met him face to face when he breathed his last breath. But he was telling us we must live expectant. Amen. He's coming back.